Today we finish up our From This Day Forward series. We've been asking the question, are great marriages even possible? And that's an important question to ask because in our day, so many people have become cynical because of the wounds of failed marriages, the wounds of failed relationships. One guy went through such a traumatic divorce that he decided he was just going to spend the rest of his life with his dog. And, and I understand his pain. I get that. I mean, nobody loves you more than your dog. Uh, I heard a pastor say, I can prove to you that your dog loves you more than your spouse. Uh, take your dog and your spouse, lock them both in your trunk, come back in an hour and see which one is happier to see you. Uh, do not write that down. That's not a fill-in. You can share that joke. Just don't tell them where you heard it. But, uh, but I realize that, that we can get cynical because of our failed relationships. I mean, our great marriage is possible. Well, for some of us, I don't think so. I'm just trying to survive. And I really want to take you beyond survival mode in your marriage. And the way you do that is you've you got to move from the world's way, from your way of doing marriage, and you've got to move into God's way of doing marriage. And if you're going to do marriage God's way, then you have to add something to your marriage that many of us have left out, and that's hope. Hope. Far too many of us have given up hope on our marriage. That's why the theme verse for this series is Lamentations 3. Jeremiah the prophet, in a horrible situation, he says this, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. It's easy in our marriages, in our relationships, to get fixated on the hurts of the past. And when you get fixated on the hurts of the past, what happens? Well, you, you get depressed. Your soul is downcast. And that may be where you are today. What do you do when you get downcast? Well, you have to call a new thing to mind. Yet, this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. And in this series, I've been trying to call a new thing to your mind. I've been trying to give you new things to think about, new things to try. Why? To give you hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord's compassions, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is, is great. From this day forward, God offers you hope. God offers you a fresh start in your marriage. You can move from a crappy marriage to a happy marriage. How? How do you do that? It starts by making these five commitments to your marriage that, that we've just been marching through all these weeks. And this week we come to the fifth commitment, and that commitment is to never give up. And I want to address the issue right here at the start of this. of What, what if you've given up on a marriage? What if you didn't give up, but your ex did? What if you didn't give up, it just blew up? What, what if you've been divorced? What do you do? Well, you do the same five things we've been calling you to do all the way through this series. Number one, you seek God. From this day forward, you seek to put God first in your life. You're not going to look to any other person to meet your needs. God is going to be the number one in your life. God is going to be the source of your strength and hope and healing. You seek God first. 
you've been divorced, you need to fight fair. If fighting fair can improve or even save a marriage, fighting fair can do wonders for a divorce. Jesus, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, and he means it. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, and he means it. Jesus tells us to go the extra mile, and he means it. And so in your relationship with your ex, you need to fight fair. Never call names, never say never or always, never raise your voice, never get physical, never get historical, never quote the Bible or your pastor to prove your point. You just don't let bitterness and anger toward your ex control or destroy your life, especially if you've got kids, especially if you have kids. You've got to fight fair. Number three, you need to have fun. You may be divorced, but there will still be birthdays and graduations and holidays and weddings and anniversaries and funerals. I mean, don't let divorce cloud or ruin every special occasion that comes up in your family. Don't relive or refight or retry the divorce at every special day. Allow yourself, allow your ex, allow your kids especially to enjoy those days and to have some fun. During World War I, an amazing event occurred. One Christmas Eve, a group of German soldiers started singing Silent Night. And a group of allied soldiers started singing with them. They stopped shooting at each other, and they started singing. The next day, Christmas Day, the two enemies actually came up out of their trenches, and they played a soccer game with each other. They spent the holiday together. Now, the next day, they crawled back into their trenches, and they started shooting at each other. But at least for one day, Christmas Day, they they found room for peace. They even had fun. And allowing for that in your life can take the edge off divorce. It can take the edge off of it for you, for your ex, for your kids. You need to have fun. Number four, you've got to stay pure. A tendency after a divorce is to think purity doesn't matter anymore. We feel so wounded, so confused, that we come out of the divorce and we just go crazy. If you're getting divorced, do not enter into a new relationship before the divorce is final. Until your divorce is final, you are still married to your spouse. You need to honor that. And if you're interested in someone who's going through a divorce, you need to honor that too. Don't be dating someone or connecting with someone whose divorce is not final. That's inappropriate. They're still married. And in fact, I I strongly recommend that you wait a full year from when the divorce is final before you even consider dating again. And the reason I recommend that you wait a full year is because I can't get you to wait two. I mean, if you come out of a divorce and start connecting in, in a relationship, you're building that relationship on your most wounded self. And you need to seek God and let Him heal you, not find your healing in another person. And if you're the other person, then it's in your best interest to leave that person alone until they heal. Don't build your second marriage on the wounds of the first. Instead, build your second marriage on health and purity. Make a commitment to God's standard for marriage. Flee 
flee from sexual activity outside of one man, one woman, and their marriage. Put God's parameters around your passion. Stay pure. Finally, you need to never give up. Now, why does that need to be a value? Why does it need to be a value for people who are married, people who are divorced, even people who are single? Because we all have the the urge, the desire at times to give up. That's why the wedding vows say what they say. You ever really looked at the wedding vows? I mean, we think the wedding vows are so romantic, so idyllic. You read through the wedding vows, and half of what you're committing to is horrible. (laughs) Seriously, on your wedding day, you committed yourself to an institution that says right up front, you're going to be miserable half the time. I mean, look at them. Will you take this man, this woman, to have and to hold from this day forward? For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish till death us do part. According to God's holy ordinance. There it is. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. Sickness, health. We all like better, richer, healthier. But we also commit to worse, poorer, sicker. Till death do us part. Most newlyweds are beautiful. You will never look better than you look on your wedding day. You have been on a diet for six months. You've been in the gym every day. You've picked out your wardrobe. You've gotten a haircut and a perm. You've had a manicure and a pedicure. You've been to the tanning parlor. You got a wax, and that's just the groom. You will never look better than you look on your wedding day. The wedding day is for better. From that point on, it only gets worse. (laughs) Guys, you want to know what your wife will look like through the majority of your married life? Look at your mother-in-law. Ladies, you want to know what your husband will look like through the majority of your married life? Look at your father-in-law. When Katie and I were newlyweds, we used to imagine my dad married to her mom. And it was creepy. (laughs) And after 42 years, we are far closer to that image than what we ever thought. (laughs) For richer, for poorer, most newlyweds are already poor. And then you get married and it gets worse. Because two can live as cheaply as one, but only for half as long. And then you put kids in the mix. And uh, I mean, that's, that's the reason why, the number one reason for divorce is finances. Because people marry for richer and they wind up poor. In sickness and in health, physically, you'll probably never be healthier than when you're first married. But after we're married, our health starts to deteriorate surely and rapidly. In sickness and in health does not just refer to physical health. It refers to emotional and spiritual health as well. When you marry a person, you marry a whole person. You marry a person with a body, a soul, and a spirit. And each of us brings the health and the sickness of our body, soul, and spirit into the marriage. Whatever emotional or spiritual wounds or pains or dysfunctions I have, I I brought them into the marriage with me. Whatever emotional, spiritual wounds, pains, dysfunctions my wife has, she brought those into the marriage with her. And we are now committed to work together to heal. 
I, I hear so many people say, oh, you know, my wife's got a problem. She needs to go get that fixed. He's got a problem. He needs to go to a counselor and then come back when he's healthy. That's not how marriage works. In a marriage, you must work through those things together. Any counselor will tell you that you will make more progress if you go into counseling with your spouse than if you go by yourself. One of the best things Katie and I ever did for our marriage is we went through Celebrate Recovery. I was in a men's group, she was in a ladies' group, but we worked the process at the same time. I didn't dump all my hurts on her, she didn't dump all her hurts on me. We're each other's spouse, not each other's sponsor. That's the beauty of having a sponsor. But we worked the process together. We understood what each other were working on. We learned how to help each other to do it and how to navigate the process to get to healing and health. And if your spouse needs recovery, go with them. If your spouse needs to go to counseling, go with them. It's part of what you vowed to do when you got married. I mean, you'd, go, you'd take them to their cancer treatments, wouldn't you? You'd take them to the doctor if they needed to go, wouldn't you? Why won't you help them get the emotional and the spiritual healing that they need? It's part of in sickness and health. You vowed you'd do it. On your notes, never give up. Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And the concept here is the concept of no-fault divorce. You don't have to prove that your spouse is at fault to divorce them. You can just divorce because you want to. In America today, in all 50 states, we have no-fault divorce. You can divorce your spouse for any and every reason. And so the Pharisees came to Jesus to test him about this. They knew it was the popular culture of the day, and if they could get him to voice his opinion against it, they could make him unpopular with the people. I feel Jesus' pain. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. There's an emotional physical, and spiritual bond that takes place in marriage. It's like if you took two pieces of paper and smeared glue on them and stuck them together and then came back in a month and tried to pull them apart, you can't do it. You can't do it. It damages both. It destroys both. Why? Because they're no longer two pieces of paper. They have become one. That's what happens to a husband and a wife in marriage. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Notice, God is the one who does the joining together. It's not you and your spouse that do the joining together. Marriage is not something you create on your own. Marriage is not something you can end on your own. Marriage is a God thing. It's a spiritual thing. And that's what makes sex before marriage, living together outside of marriage, sex outside of marriage, it makes it such a big deal. Because you're trying to do this on your own terms apart from the power of God. That's why these relationships ultimately create 
more pain than pleasure. People go into those relationships looking for pleasure, or, or we use living together as a defense mechanism to, to protect us from our pain. We'll try this out, see if it works, so if it doesn't work, we won't wound each other with the pain of a divorce. But since you're doing it apart from the blessing of God, it turns out to be less pleasant and more painful than what you thought. Many have experienced the pain of divorce, the pain of relationships apart from God's blessing. And and I just want you to know that from this day forward, God offers you hope. God offers you hope if you will surrender to His way. Now, if you're in a relationship that is abusive, if you're in a relationship where it's dangerous for you to be in it, then there, there is room for you to separate while you get healthy. Sometimes you need to put some space be, be, between uh, yourselves while you work to, to get whole and healthy. But people who've been through the, the breakups, the divorce, the separations, they know better than anyone that you can't simply unone what God has made one. It's not that easy. And you need to understand that just because it doesn't hurt anymore, that doesn't mean you've gotten healthy. Just because you don't hurt anymore doesn't mean you're healthy. Because there's a difference between being numb and being scarred than being healthy. And our denial, our self-preservation, even our pride can blind us to, to, to the harm that's been done to us and even the harm that we've done to ourselves. So God calls us to move to health. Don't just repeat the wounding with somebody else. Don't settle for living with the pain and the numbness. Don't take unhealthy and make it your new normal. No. From this day forward, do it God's way. We've got to realize, on your notes, we have to realize that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. A contract is the way to go with the mortgage company. And if you've you've bought a house recently, you know that that pile of papers is higher than ever before because both parties are making a statement that I'm going to defend my property, I'm going to defend my rights. And a lot of people bring that contractual mindset into their marriage. Rather, Rather than making the marriage more secure, it actually makes it more disposable. Because you can break a contract. But the Bible refers to marriage as a covenant. And the biblical word for covenant actually means to cut. In the Bible, you cut a covenant. And in the old marriage ceremony, they would actually take the groom's hand and they would cut it. And they would take the bride's hand and they would cut it. And then they would put their hands together and the priest or rabbi would tie their hands so that they literally would bleed together. Because it was a blood covenant. When they made a business covenant, you you, you would take a bull or a goat and you would slaughter it, cut it in half, lay the halves out on the ground, and the two parties would lock their arms together and walk through on the bloody ground between these two halves. And what they were saying is, is, may this be done to me if I break the covenant between us. That's how serious a covenant was. Versus a contract. Luke 22.20. In the same way after the supper, the last supper, Jesus took the cup saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Christ said, I'm getting ready to show you the permanency of my commitment to you. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to bleed for you. This is a blood covenant. A covenant relationship is a permanent relationship. You know, covenant is based on mutual commitment. A lot of people talk commitment, but it's not commitment if there's a way out, if there's an escape clause. I'm committed to you as long as everything goes great, but when things stop going great, I'm not committed anymore. I'm out of here. Commitment means being willing to be unhappy while we work it out. Commitment says, I'll be worse, poorer, and sicker until we can work this out. You don't need commitment for the good days. You don't need commitment for better, richer, healthier. Who wants to leave when it's like that? But, you know, worse, poorer, sicker, people want out. Covenant's based on mutual commitment. Contract is based on mutual distrust. That's why people sign prenuptial agreements. Because I love you, I'm committed to you, but only up to the point where I start to lose my stuff. Some people are actually rewriting the marriage vows to say, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall love. Not as long as we both shall live, as long as we both shall love. I give them six weeks. <laughs> honeymoon. Do you know what the word honeymoon means? Honeymoon. It means sweet month. Yeah, because that's about how long it lasts. And then it starts to go sour. But the truth is, sweet and sour, that, that's what flavors a marriage. Covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. Covenant surrenders rights. In covenant, I love my wife the way Christ loves the church. Christ laid down his rights for the church. Christ sacrificed his life for the church. Christ submitted to the will of the Father. He gave up his happiness for you and for me. That's what I do in covenant for my spouse. That's what she does for me. Covenant assumes responsibility. I have a responsibility to keep the vows, to keep the commitments that I made to my spouse, even if it costs me. Contract protects rights, shirks responsibility. Contract is upside down from the way God intended for the marriage relationship to be. That's why contract marriages so often fail. Covenant has the interest of the other person in mind. I'm not in this for what Katie can give me. I'm in this for what I can give her. And the same is true for her. Therefore, our marriage operates in this reciprocal relationship where you have two people trying to outgive, outserve one another. And when that becomes the dynamic, uh, the relationship just cycles up to more and more health, more and more joy, more and more happiness. Because Jesus said it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But you get a marriage where the person is trying to see how much they can hold on to, how much they can protect, how much they can take instead of give, and you're going to quickly spiral down into misery. Contract has personal convenience in mind. Contract says, I'll stay with this as long as it's good for me. I'll stick with this as long as I get something out of it. I'll stick with it as long as I'm happy. But when it starts getting worse, poorer, and sicker, I'm done. 
God is calling us, calling us back to the seriousness of blood covenant, back to the seriousness of the concept of two becoming one flesh, back to what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. How do we get back to that? From this day forward, I don't care where you've been up to this point, from this day forward, God says in Malachi 2, be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Why? Why be on guard? Why not be unfaithful to your spouse? God tells us the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. That's the problem with divorce. Because what what you're doing when you go through the process of divorce is you're doing the exact opposite of what God designed you to do. You're doing violence to the one you're supposed to protect. That's why we've got to do these three things on your notes. Number one, we will make the choice to love. Too many people think love is a feeling. Love has feelings, but love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is when your your kid is up all night puking and you're sitting there next to him with a trash can and a cold cloth for their forehead. I mean, none of that feels good. That's just love. That's just a choice you make. The, The Bible says choose love. Choose it. Colossians 3, and over all these things, put on, circle, put on, put on love. You don't just feel it, you got to put it on. It's like it's a coat. <laughs> there it is. I got to pick it up and I got to put it on. In spite of your feelings. But when you make the choice to love, feelings follow. Choices lead, feelings follow. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Make the choice to love. Number three, we will prioritize our relationship. If we want a till death do us part relationship, it takes maintenance. You've got to stoke the fire. The biblical principle is, is whatever you put first, that's where the blessing is. That's why we teach the principle of tithing around here. Because the, it, it, God is so clear. You honor him with the first 10% and he'll bless the 90% beyond... What the 100% would be if you kept it all to yourself. You prioritize your finances by giving the first 10% to God, and, and, and he'll bless you in amazing ways. That's why we teach the idea of a quiet time, because you honor God with the first moments of your day, and God will bless every other moment of your day. You've got to prioritize. You've got to seek God first in your marriage. Galatians says it this way, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You don't like what you're getting in your marriage? Look at what you're putting into it. You you, you, you want positive attention from him or her? Then give them positive attention. You want kindness? Then give kindness. You want time? Give time. It's not easy. You've got to prioritize it. But let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Say it with me. If we do not give up. If we do not give up. Third thing we got to do is we, we, we got to trust God. 
Because marriage is a spiritual endeavor for the whole man, the whole woman, body, soul, spirit. Marriage is a God thing. And you can't do anything that the Bible says to do if you're not tapping into the power that the Bible gives you. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. You've got to seek God. You've got to do marriage God's way. Seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, and never give up. Let's pray together. God, I would just pray for, for, for the marriages of this church, the marriages represented here today, and I, I just would pray for each one of us. God, I pray especially today for those who would give up. Please, God, j- just give them fresh hope today. Help them to recognize that, that your mercies, your compassions are new every morning. And God, I just pray that we would do all we can and then trust you just to send your power. That you would make all things new. And if you're here alone today because your spouse wouldn't come, if you're single again, if you're single, I I pray that you would just make a commitment to these five things in your life. Make a commitment to to Christ, the one who shed his blood for you, the one who moved into a permanent covenant relationship with you. Surrender everything to him. God, I pray that from this day forward, you'd help us to live out the hope that you offer us in our marriages. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.